teams sit right on the baseline. The big fella from New Zealand. When we cut him off baseline, he started walking in there. Welcome to the Baseline Podcast. Um, trying to get back to our episodes every couple of days as we've launched season two. I appreciate everyone tuning in and apologies for a little bit of a gap in recording for um, for January and February. Uh, been a busy time for myself personally, but things are, are going really well and I'm excited to have season two and trying to alternate New Zealand guests, Australian guests with um, guests from the United States. Uh, so without further ado, have a, an exciting guest on today. Um, Andrew Pinkash is joining me from the United States on the East Coast. Where are you? Are you in Boston, man? Where are you coming from today? I'm out of uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Sort oh, of there the we go. Coast, sort of the Midwest, like kind of in that funky little area in between. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Pittsburgh, that's that's awesome to hear, man. Really appreciate you um, yeah, jumping on today. Really excited for us to chat about the business of basketball, NIL, sport, um, yeah, just all sorts, and yeah, really, really excited. How um how are things going for you today, man? Oh, every, everything is great, Stevie. Just another beautiful day. Sun's out. I'm alive. I open my eyes in the morning. Um, just building and you know trying to impact people's lives in a positive way. So it's to me once I started taking that mindset, you know, the world's opened up. So I always like to when people ask, I always try to to bring it up and something funny. I want to start doing it, but I haven't yet. There was this college American football coach. Um, he coaches at Minnesota. And when I was out of camp, I asked him, Coach, how you doing today? And he said, I'm doing elite. And uh, ever since then, I was like, I don't know why I say I'm doing good. I should just start saying I'm doing elite. I'm unstoppable. <laughs> but uh, those I love coaches, it. They have some energy behind them. Yeah, I love it, man. Is it funny that um, that when you're like, you might be having a really great day, you're like, I'm doing good. It's like, people still tend to understate how they are. And it's like, why do we do that? Because when we feel like shit, <laughs> let's be honest, we're like, we're like, yeah, I'm feeling really bad. But then when we're feeling great, we're like, oh yeah, I'm just feeling good. It's like, we we need to try and radiate that um, that positive energy and just um, give that out. Because you never know if someone else is having a bad day and, you know, you just smile at someone or you say, yeah, I'm feeling great. You know, you, you actually, you know, you bring up other people's energy, man. So I love... I love to hear that. Um, you need to put that on a T-shirt. I'm doing a leap. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm, sure I'm sure he has. If not, someone else probably has for him. I love it, man. And that, that football coach energy, um, well, yeah, I think I suppose it's actually probably college sports in America. Um, that energy of coaches, I feel, was um, it's great, man. Like I love, I love that real enthusiasm and just – like the, the, that grind of, you know, you may be doing like a ton of hours or whatever, but you're like, I'm really getting after it. I feel like that's, and I know not all coaches obviously like that, but I, I love that, that real positive energy, man. So yeah, appreciate you, um, you starting us off on that real positive note. So firstly, I just usually like to just, um, you know, ask a bit about yourself, people that don't know you, can you, can you just tell people about your, a bit about yourself personally? Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, about a year ago, I graduated from Boston University, where I played basketball. Um, grew up in Pennsylvania, then went to Boston for four years to play. And uh, my junior year, I actually made it to the NCAA tournament. It was like kind of my last main basketball goal per se, and I, you know, I accomplished basically everything I ever wanted. 
in terms of going D1, you know, averaging a certain amount of points in high school, going to the state championship, et cetera. Um, and then it got canceled. Like literally the one year in existence, the NCAA tournament got canceled was the year that I made it. Um, so that kind of put me on a, an interesting path though, where I came home and I had some time to think. And, you know, I've always had a little of an entrepreneur spirit in me and started building a newsletter, started building my Twitter and have been really interested in the intersection of sports and business. And through that came in contact with James Sackville, who started the air app, um, joined that. So I've been doing that full time along with also still growing my newsletter, which focuses on the business of athletes, sports, along with some of the new NIL name, image and likeness that has taken college sports by storm the last year. Um, so that's, that's a little bit about me. Um, still very early in my journey and, you know, a lot of big goals ahead, but, uh, mostly my whole thing is putting the athlete first and, um, you know, I think elite athletes are just elite performers and elite humans in general. And some of the top ones, um, they, they not only have it athletically, but socially, mentally, spiritually. And, and a lot of them do really good things off the court or off the field or, or whatever pitch they play on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's a, that's a great little breakdown talking about, yeah, the sort of your last four or five years. Um, so can you, I think, I think the, the best place to start is, um, do you want to talk about, talk a bit about air? I don't know a lot about it myself. Um, but you talk a little bit about it and the work you're doing there. And, uh, name, image and likeness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so July 1st, 2021, the NCAA basically said that all college athletes can start to make money off exactly what it says it is, their name, um, which was previously not allowed, even though it happened under the table for years as, uh, you know, all those allegations have come out. Um, you know, Reggie Bush, several basketball players, Louisville, like with Rick Pitino, et cetera. Um, so now, you know, athletes, especially with big social media followings, ones that are at big schools, uh, ones that, you know, they just have a popular name brand and, and they've done well in their sport, along with the second factor, usually social media having a big following, they're able to sign endorsement deals. And they've been, you know, a lot of them have been crushing it and they've become what I like to call a millionaire, meaning like a millionaire through NIL um, while they're still in college. And, and then it's actually legalized in a few states for high school as well in the uh, US, I think it's about seven now. It's ever changing. I'm not even gonna try to name them because um, it's always fluctuating. But uh, I mean, yeah, it's a $500 million industry this year and it'll be a few billion dollar industry over the next couple. And uh, I mean, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens to the NCAA uh, ultimately yeah. because amateur sports, that kind of model is dying um, with these players. I know it's just endorsements, but we have these things called NIL collectives as well that are getting involved. And they're basically third party boosters that are dishing out deals to kids. So it's like, since these deals can't come from the university themselves or they can't, they can't foster them or connect them. Alumni saying, Hey, why are we paying the athletic department's money? Let's just mm -hmm. pay these collectives. And then the collectives will go and pay players and bring them in under the guise of NIL through doing something in return. So whether it's, showing up at a autograph event or social media posts. And uh, recently a Tennessee football kid just signed an $8 million NIL deal. And um, that's the big squawk in the States uh, currently wow. is like, is this right? Or, you know, where is this headed? Uh, so yeah. it's a little bit of the wild west, but for me, because I'm all for the athletes, it's mostly all positive because I love to see them getting what they deserve. 
And I actually feel bad for a lot of the ones before that didn't get a chance to capitalize off of it. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed, man. Um, it, that's so awesome to hear. And I think it's, it's probably for internationals, you know, the listeners to this podcast, they don't know a massive about, uh, amount about the NIL, but um, it's clear we're at a, a place, I feel like not just with sports, but we're at a place now where kids, uh, athletes are becoming more aware of not just their brand, but um, their power, you know, be it with um, equity and, um, you know, race and um, sexuality, whatever it is, we, we, we're getting to a place now where kids are a lot more aware. So we've got this NIL and um, and I feel like we're at a place where sports are starting to change and um, people are getting more opportunities. And I do feel for those ones beforehand, you know, it's like you look at, I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, the number of people that get to play college sports is just a few percent, you know, out of high school players. Yeah, and then you look how many, it's 7%. There you go. And then obviously from there, you look how many get to play professionally. It's, you know, probably even le- less of that, of that, or even just from the seven, you know, I right? It's like, point, it's like 1% of the 7%. It's like a very minuscule chance. It's extremely, I don't think people understand that. Like when they're, you know, getting mad in the stands at pro athletes, like yeah. it is very, very hard to become a pro athlete. Like the worst pro athlete, which obviously is subjective, but yeah. like that player is still really good um, and is yeah. elite. But uh, elite. yeah, yeah, one hundred percent, man. It's and and that's where where when you look at at what you know, these people are able to do for college, it's like, man, we're actually this nil is actually giving more kids the more athletes the opportunities um to to get be able to get some money for for playing college sport and and i think that um when you look at the you know the the time investment that over high school years and then getting to college and um you know the chance to actually capitalize on on your talents it's actually widening that pool which is it's got to be great and it's it's cool too just like how everything's happening at one time because it's not just like NIL came in and athletes are able to monetize their name, image, and likeness. But we also have this whole new industry of Web 3.0 and crypto and NFTs. And then also on the fan side, like fan tokens and engaging fans and just all these really cool technologies that are coming up at the same time. So these athletes aren't able, they're not like only able to monetize through traditional like Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. They're also like saying, oh, what are these NFTs? What is crypto like? And they're learning about this emerging industry. And, and like you mentioned before, like being a creator in today's time is very valuable and having your own personal brand. And it's even amplified as an athlete. So the ones that are doing it well, I mean, if you're a young athlete, like you should be, you should be like, it's your playbook. You should be watching. Um, yeah. You know, and and yeah. I can give examples if you want, but like a few that, that stick, stick in mind to me, like the Cavender twins, from Fresno State, they're transferring uh, to women's basketball players are absolutely crushing it. John Seaton from Elon, he's he's a walk-on football player at Elon that's just really doing a great job. Uh, I mean, Livy Don, Chet Holgram. I mean, there, there's a yes. there's a bunch, but yeah. it's like, and I guess I'll touch on this now. Like for foreign athletes, it's interesting because in the U.S. right now, you're not able; they're not able to yes. do because the visas, yeah, the visas. Yeah, but I, I would anticipate that changing sooner rather than later. Yeah. And with that said, that shouldn't discourage you or that shouldn't shy you away. It should just be an extra buffer zone for you to learn about it. And then when it the the basically it gets legalized, you're ready for it. Because I think yes. 
in the NCAA tournament, what we've seen is like St. Peter's, and I'm sure most of the listeners are basketball fans. St. Peter's took down Kentucky, and then they took down Murray State. And now they're in the Sweet 16, the small school from Jersey, uh, like mid-major D1 team. Yeah. Well, a lot of the kids weren't ready NIL-wise, which I don't blame them. They probably weren't getting much traction. But now it's like they're trying to catch up. If they had at least been ready or had an infrastructure, had people in their circle, they would have been able these last couple of days to be signing big deals and they could have made 30 to 50,000 just on this week's span playing off their publicity. So I think wow. it's always for, yeah, like it's, it's a very, unless you're a top, top player, a top 1%, the rest, you got to be ready for your opportunity. Just like if you're a bench player, you need to be ready to come off the bench and, you know, produce. If you're a low major, you don't have a big social media following or you're not a, you know, highly talented athlete. You need to just still be ready because if your NIL opportunity comes up, you need to be ready to strike or it'll be too late. Yeah. Oh, that's that's brilliant, man. And I think this is the harder part here when we're talking, and I know it's not just on social media, is that um, obviously we know the dangers of social media in terms of, you know, the way that it can be used. And we, you know, watching this, these documentaries in, in terms of um, how the kids that are too young in terms of like Snapchat and the, the dangers of Instagram and all that sort of stuff. I feel like there needs to be some education firstly for kids on, Hey, like when, like for myself, when I'm trying to explain Twitter to kids, I'm saying you're not going on here to just scroll for hours and watch stupid videos. Like you're utilizing this as imagine it being like, um, you know, a job, a CV for a job, or, um, you know, you're putting together, just say it's a recruiting video where you're talking about yourself, that this is the way you're going to use it. And you're actually going to use it positively and I feel like for the older generation, um, if there, if there's an explanation that needs to go in around social media, it's like, hey, we're we're using this for for, for positivity in terms of um, actual future earnings and and what we can do now. And if we're able to to pass on some of those learnings to maybe it's someone who's a bit older who's a coach and um, you know being able to to utilize the platform, then kids I feel can then jump in and be like, okay. Um, know i'm i'm not that great with my twitter or um i don't have my instagram set up in the way that i should but here's here's how i can do it i'm going to look to go and take this advice on and i feel in these international countries we don't have i'm just talking about new zealand i feel like it's a bit better in australia but down here we don't really understand the power of um of utilizing social media there's a few down here that do do it well um but if you look at um, TikTok, for example, and the and the the chances that you could use these type of platforms for your for your brand, and um, you know potentially um, a company would be able to jump on and and it might not sound like a lot of money if it was five, ten, fifteen thousand, but if you have a few of these, then all of a sudden, when you if you were to finish um, college and you know you've you've gone from having maybe zero earnings to to actually be able to 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 be able to put some money aside and then maybe you're able to go and invest so yeah can you talk a little bit about about the the importance of social media for our athletes these days for sure i mean it's absolute necessity in a way i i think and this might sound a little dramatic but maybe five ten years from now a difference in someone taking one player over another if there's say they're completely equal in everything skill talent grades you know what whatever else goes into it it could literally come down to who has a bigger social media following from from the standpoint of hey this is going to bring way more attention to our program because you have to remember that's a, a big piece of it as well is these schools 
I don't know if you want to touch on like more college first, but like from a college standpoint, like it's all publicity. Like St. Peter's, for example, I'll just use them because it's relevant and we all know what's going on. I mean, they've done like $50,000 in extra sales this week from like gear before wow. just because they're so hot right now. Yes. Um, and their, uh, their players have all gained tons of new followers as well. So it's like the importance is huge just from the standpoint of like, like you mentioned, it is your CV, it is your resume, and it's showing who you are beyond your sport as well. I, I think it's really important. I think a lot the problem is a lot of people just scroll on it and they just consume constantly. To me, one of the greatest feelings is like actually thinking about something and putting out a piece of content and being like that creator and seeing people recognize it and then having people reach out. And to me, that's such a better feeling. And then also networking. I mean, now I have someone in you, Stevie, from New Zealand in the basketball world that I can, you know, connect with any time and talk to on like a personal basis, like we've known each other for years. And I don't, I think a lot of people want that instant gratification and they don't think about that stuff. Like you don't know where a lot of stuff's going to lead later on and whether that's, you know, a college scholarship, whether that's a job, whether that's whatever. I mean, there's a lot of positives to it as well. And I think you need kids, especially need to focus more on that and what it can do for them. And yes. don't, don't fall for that. Like right now, like be patient. Just like you're going to put in work in the gym to, you know, get a better jumper, you need to put work on your social media to build connections and meet the right people and, uh, you know, set yourself up later on. So, yeah, I, I would say I think I touched on mostly everything there. I think I think, though. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good, man. Now, I appreciate that. And I, and I, I feel because we as internationals, we haven't truly um, seen a, ma a massive amount of examples it's sort of like, and, and maybe as a, it's a bit about us culturally down here. We're we're like, oh, you know, uh, we want to wait for someone else for it to happen, you know, or, or wait for it to happen in another country. And but if I come back to, and this is a, a person I know well, talking about different platforms when TikTok was first popping off, and I was chatting to to this guy, and uh, his name's Khan actually. He um is a like he's always been a social digital whiz, um, and he was like, you know, don't wait for it to. Like if someone says, what's the next, the next platform, it's like, well, if TikTok is now, don't wait for others to go and get the big following, just go and jump in and do it because it's current. And I think it's not about waiting and being like, oh, wait to see if my mates do it. It's like, just jump in now. It's not going to cost you any time. And it's funny at the time when, when my friend told me about this and I, and I ripped into TikTok, um, I think I've got. I think 14,000 followers on there and I don't, I don't post a lot, but I just try and post some funny stuff from time to time. I've had a couple of videos go viral and that's not the be all and end all, but it's like, um, when you realize what, uh, and you sort of take that advice on board and realize where, you know, where things are going and, and how you can continue to, um, to be relevant, then you, you're, you're already, you're already ready and you're at the position there where you can continue to move forward. And, um, I feel like that's that's something that's really important down here for for our athletes is um, understand what the current trends are. You know, like do do your research, understand a little bit about NFTs. I'm not saying that you need to go and dump all your money into them, but if you have this understanding, it's like um, you know when you get to the US, then you can you can be up with this stuff. Um, and it's like don't just be don't just go over there to make up the numbers. Um, you know, understand that and and think about just as you say like working on your jumper think about man what am i going to do after um after i finish playing basketball and if i'm playing pro well what other interests do i have do i want to partner with 
someone, you know, who's making, I don't know, maybe it's socks, you know, they could be making socks and yeah. I can have a little partnership there. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be big, you know, and you don't need to be like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not making hundreds of thousands of dollars, but um, I think being, being relevant um, with whatever's going on at the time and, and understanding, I think understanding business a little bit better is probably, especially at the moment, um, we talk about NFTs and, and tokens and um, I think internationals have, international athletes and kids in general just have to have to be up better with with things and maybe it's just getting newsletters like i get the boardroom newsletter man i love that you know i love i love that i can get all this sort of stuff summarized on all you know what's the latest trading card deal that had been signed and it's not difficult yeah. to sign up for this type of stuff right exactly yeah i mean that's why and two points based off that that's why i have my newsletters i just try to educate people around a lot of this stuff and put my own opinion and experiences and you know, I started it thinking, hey, I'm kind of writing to myself to learn if anyone reads it cool. And now there's like 23,000 people and, you know, it's it's really done well, but nothing's changed uh, because I still write it like I'm writing to myself um, and just trying to give these tidbits and this business stuff, especially around the athletes. Um, and then and then you talked about social media platforms, especially for athletes. I agree. I think I missed I, – I was started building my Twitter around the same time, but I do feel like I missed a little bit of a boat with TikTok because um, I think the time is getting close to passing. Now their algorithms are tightening up and they're not just letting anyone kind of go off. But at the same time, it's definitely not too late. But in terms of like the next one, like, I mean, that's what I'm currently working on uh, at air. Like, and we're, we've said like TikTok was for entertainers. YouTube was for long video creators, Twitter for journalists, um, Instagram, you know, for more photographers. Well, there's been nothing LinkedIn for business people. There's been nothing really for athletes. And so that's what we're working on. We're trying to build something for for the athletes and connecting them to the right people. Um, so, you know, in, I think in, we're launching basketball April 1st. But I think, you know, over the next year to two years, it's really going to take off in the sense of athletes want their own place with the tools that they need. Because on Twitter, like, hey, it's cool. But, you know, your videos you post a year ago kind of get lost. So like every everything we've taken the best features from every platform and said, hey, this is exactly what athletes would need from it. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I don't like to self promote on this stuff, but like I think that's where air is going to be a huge di differentiator, especially internationally of just the education behind it and being a free resource and being able to put yourself out there and then connect with someone, you know, in a year from now, someone might, you know, see Stevie on air and be like, hey you know, what do you do? And then that might click and then you have a connection in America from it and then boom, you know, so it's just using all these me social media resources and we're yeah. trying to add another one for athletes specific. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us any more about year in terms of, um, yeah, like just a bit more of an intro for people and a bit more of understanding yeah, how yeah. it works. So I gave like the thought process of platform for just athletes, but we've seen everything has been mostly service-based. And we wanted to give a platform and put the athlete first, not sell to the athlete, not sell to the school, like put the athlete first. Um, and, and we've taken mostly a LinkedIn slash Twitter slash dating app approach in terms of the matching and applied it to the app. We started almost nine months ago and, and we're just in American football now. And we have 900,000. Um, I'm sorry. We have 150,000 users wow. and, uh, in nine months and we're opening up basketball here over the next two weeks, men's and women's basketball. And then we're going to slowly keep adding more sports, but the the plan is to go international. So it's not just going to, 
initially to start, it's going to be, hey, you're from New Zealand. You want to play in the States. Awesome. Here's how you can do it. And then on the flip side, a coach could go, hey, I want to look at all the kids over six foot four that are guards in New Zealand. And they'll be able to quickly find them, see their everything about them, their own resume, et cetera. And uh, as we build it out, eventually we'll have pro teams, club teams. Um, and, and like I said, we're just trying to build the platform for athletes. Um, and we've got good traction early on. And it's just like, let's see where we can take this and scale it. And it's all, everything is, it's going to help everyone. Like it's going to help what you do. It's going to help coaches. But like the main thing is if we help the athletes, we're winning because all of us that are involved were former division one athletes. And we saw that was a, a major problem was there just wasn't enough education. And there was, there was just, there just wasn't enough to know what to do. And so that's what we're, we're trying to fix and change. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. It's like, I, I so get that the, the education out there isn't, um, there's just not, enough info like the ncaa um you know the, the website and there's some really cool stuff there and they, if you want to read it you know and you've got the time that you can go and educate yourself but i had a parent of a of a um a division one baller on podcast and she was like there is no book you know what i mean to and if there is i haven't you know i haven't read the book and it's sort of like understanding especially for internationals um, understanding, um, the, you know, the, even just the lingo and and um, how to get recruited and all that kind of stuff. It's um, it's it's difficult, you know, especially when um, it's not um, it's not a pathway that a lot of people have have tried, you know, have, have yeah. you know gone down. That, um, I actually path. wrote a book about it too. I can did you? That. Oh, there we go. A, there is a book. <laughs> yeah, that was. Awesome. That's how it led me into, I should have probably started. That's how it led me into all this. Cause I said, I had nothing. I met a messed up process. I committed to a school, decommitted. I did about everything wrong. So I said, I had no resources and like my younger brothers were fine. Cause I went through it. So they knew, but most mm. people they just start off not knowing. So I put together like a 120 page PDF. Cause I said a book would be reading. It would be too hard. Um, so I'll, it's on the website, collegeathleteinsight.com. Awesome. I, uh, I have like 10 different sports. Um, they're all similar. The basketball one is good, but, but that, and then that led into air as well. Cause now it's like, Hey, I can only help so many people with the book. Let's help the whole world. Um, yeah. in terms of athletes. Oh, I love that, man. Um, in terms of your recruitment, um, can you, and I always ask this for anybody who comes on, who has this knowledge or was a former Hooper. Can you talk a bit about your recruitment now? now um, you don't need to yeah. talk on the, the messed up parts if you don't want to, but, can you talk a little bit about your recruitment and just some um, some of the pitfalls and then some advice because I feel like there's never enough advice out there and um, you know I know I've got messages from parents who've been like man I love that um, like I had Brandon Goble from um, Verbal Commits on and just the advice that he gave that I wasn't expecting around just picking the right program and it made me think and be like oh man like some of this advice seems so straightforward when you're going to pick a program, but it's actually it's actually not until you go through it you realize, oh shit, um, these you know these oh, parents yeah. have have really needed that. So if you could talk a bit on your recruitment, man, that would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, crazy process that kind of led me all into this, um, as I mentioned. But I remember sixth, seventh grade, maybe I went to a varsity playoff basketball game, so like a high school game in America. And I remember coming back from it. I went with a friend. I remember coming back and telling my dad, like, I can play at that level. I can play. And I ended up starting my freshman year, um, which is really hard to do in America. 
And from there, I said, well, if I can do this, I can play in college. And I really want to play Division One. I, I want to go to the top level, um, which I'll, before I get on, I'll say you should look at all levels. You should shoot <laughs> yeah. for the highest, but there's good basketball and there's opportunities at all levels. Some of the best players I know played Division Two. Still went on full rides and now are making a ton of money overseas and absolutely crushing it. So like that shouldn't deter you. But for me, I wanted to play at the top. So division one was the goal. And AAU was the big thing. High school, it was from Pittsburgh, not the best high school basketball scene in terms of competition. It's like a football and wrestling area. So it was harder to get recognition out of that. So I knew AAU, which is for most areas, was the big thing. Went, did that. And I started getting offers. But the problem was I didn't know how to do anything. I, I just I didn't understand the whole process, the timeline, visits, et cetera. And I went on a visit to this one school. I thought I liked it. I told them, yeah, I'll come here. And then on signing day, they said, OK, like, let's have a big party. You're coming here. I just said, ah, I changed my mind. I'm not coming here. But it messed everything up because then I lost all my offers, like all my other offers. So I had to go through another year. I was looking to go into prep school, et cetera. And then Boston University kind of worked worked out to make a long story short. But in terms of fit, like you have to break down everything that you truly want. Like, do you want to, you know, what kind of teammates do you want to have? What, you know, is your major school you want to go to? Do you want a city school, an urban, suburban, whatever? Like you have to really break everything down of what you want and then kind of backtrack from there. And I didn't do that, but my brothers did. And that's why their process worked much better. Um, But I mean, it's all specific to each person and family as well. So that's why it can be hard to give blanketed information because every situation is unique. Um, But I think that should be helpful to at least some of like, hey, break everything down, pros and cons. Like for if you get an offer from two schools, you should break it down, pros and cons. Like if it's a cost, coaches, players position how good have they been how good's the school how much is it you know where is it how far is it etc you should break everything down um and really look at it visually i'm a visual learner but i think for most people that would be helpful yeah oh that's that's so good man and that what you said about the levels is so true um i feel like down here people don't understand naia at all um but like we had a a couple of really good hoopers from down here play at the naia level and um if you tune in and watch the games, you're like, oh, shit, like, this is a legitimate level, you know. But because we'd never really had the education or had, you know, some players had gone there, but some of them weren't as prominent. This They didn't really, people back here didn't actually understand. Um, so they were sort of struggling to to get their head around that. Um, but then when, you know, a few more prominent players had gone there, it sort of opened that up. Um, had a few more kids have gone to D3 recently. And even just when you see, um, the facilities and um, the the stadium, for example, you're realizing the the type of investment the colleges are making and and the players. Um, you know, you you're just the parents and and the scene here are just are just now starting. I feel um, outside of the people, the bigger organizations who've been helping recruit players to America for a while, um, it seems like a lot more people are understanding. Man, you know, this Division Three is is great, and um, the kids with the academics are able to to get some rides there and um, you know, they're understanding the different, the different levels of junior college. And as soon as, as people realize that um, these other levels are not only legitimate, but that they provide pathways elsewhere, 
it means maybe that you can, if you want to be in California, for example, look, there's an NAIA, there's a JUCO here. Once you start understanding and, and asking those questions that you actually realize that there's so many more opportunities here for, look, maybe your goal was to get um, to a D1 or a D2 in California, but but in the you're like, okay, I can do a junior college for a year or two and I've still ticked a couple of these boxes. You know, I've got a great climate. For us, it's a direct 12-hour flight from Auckland to San Francisco or LA. So I think it's just trying to open the, the blinkers a little bit and, and realize that, that there are some great opportunities at other levels. So yeah, glad, glad that you that you mentioned that. In terms of um, of how the future sort of looks for for athletes at the intersection of sports, you could talk about professional and college. Like, well, what do you think the future is? Um, you know, we've we've looked at in New Zealand, we've seen you know um, the Australian NBL overtime elite, G League ignite. There's there's so many more opportunities, and if I just give the Australian NBL for example. Um, down here, because the New Zealand League, New Zealand NBL, um, runs at a different timeline, usually to the Australian NBL, we're actually starting to see um, a real pathway from New Zealand to Australia. And then seeing the Australian pathway to the NBA, it's sort of like we have this close proximity to this really high-level league where, um, you know, someone like Jay Sean Tate, for example, was playing in the NBA now, was just in the Sydney Kings a year or two ago. Well, what do you see the future being for a lot of these programs in the NCAA and athletes' ability to to sort of take hold of the future um, rather than having it more dictated to them down traditional paths, which is the way it had been for so long? Yeah, I think one of the nice things is we do have overtime. We have these leagues internationally um, that offer real opportunities, not only financially, but athletically as well to give kids other options. I, I think that's the big thing. I think it was very, I'd say even 10, 20 years ago, the route was you play in high school or whatever you do internationally. And then, you know, you try to go to a, a high college and then you try to go pros in preferably the NBA for most. But now we have these like overtime leagues and we have a better set up G league and we have other leagues kind of timing around you know, like you mentioned, the Australian League or the NBA. So there's real like there's almost like a minor league set up system. And uh, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how the NCAA plays out. I think they are in some trouble with like this whole amateurism and, and NIL is definitely impacting that. I think people are really starting to see. I, I did a post a couple weeks ago about the business of March Madness, and it's just like they make so much money off of it. If they literally took 1% of all they've earned from March Madness, just 1% of those profits, each player in the NCAA tournament would make $10,000. And it's like, so they're not even giving the players anything for, like without the players, which was the year I talked about, the COVID year that I didn't play in it, the NCAA lost $700 million. And the only reason they didn't lose all a billion is because they had insurance that covered a little bit of it. So it's like, we're starting to see it's kind of like a flawed model that's only really helping the athletic directors, the NCAA, you know, main people, and the advertisers like the CBS Sports and, and the brands that come in. But it's like NIL is providing opportunities, but it's still just an endorsement. It'd be like Steph Curry only allowed to sign with Under Armour, but the Warriors don't give him a contract. Like It doesn't yeah. make any sense. Like if you're Paolo Boncharo and you're playing for Duke, yeah, he might have made a million dollars this year from NIL. But like 
let's say he didn't have to go to college and he went straight to the NBA, he would still make a million dollars from his endorsements. (laughs) And he would also get paid a lot of money from whatever team drafted him, which is going to happen next year. So it's like, why are we punishing him for one year? Yeah. Like the first thing is you should be able to go straight to the NBA. But second, like, why are we punishing him for one year when he could get hurt? You know, anything could happen. Um, And and I think that's it's going to be interesting to see how the NCAA plays out because they do do good things, especially in terms of helping other sports out and like funding what they call Olympic sports, um, non-revenue sports. But, yeah, I mean, over time's league is like popular, right, because you can go play in there for one year. You can still sign endorsements. You can still make now a salary. I think it's like 100,000 is the minimum. And then you can go to the NBA after that or you can go to New Zealand, Australia, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, it's a changing system. I think over the next decade, we're going to we're definitely going to see some things flip. But last point on that, the the universities hold this card, right? Because no one everyone wants to see University of North Carolina play Duke University, right? But no one would want to see Raleigh play the Durham Blue Devils, right? Like the school names is what makes it so popular. So I think that's like the one thing holding all this back in terms of NCAA paying guys as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's such a good breakdown, man. Um, yeah, I feel that the that if you talked about polo, for example, that you the the chance to be able to earn that money. I mean, why? I don't know why the NBA decided to, or you, you might know why they decided to not let high schoolers go straight to the NBA. I feel that. The NBA and the and the um, the power that the players have now is like that's a separate conversation in terms of the, the way that players are taken care of, the insurances that you get. Um, you know, even sometimes if you have enough service in the NBA, you'll you know you'll get um, this health and life insurance for life sometimes for your family members as well. And so the NBA, I feel like, does take a really uh, the, with the players' association, they take great care of their players. Um, I feel though that high schoolers should better go straight to the NBA if they. If if they're deemed, if if a team's going to draft you, then they they feel like you are ready. You know, maybe you're not as mature as you will be, obviously, in three or four years. But physically, some sort of maturity. Um, you know, the way that you are on and off court, obviously, that an NBA team will still do their due diligence. That they would do on a 19 year old, and some 17 year olds will be as mature as some 21 year olds. So that's just this this is just exactly. life. So. That's probably interesting, and I'd I'd love to see the NBA, you know, open that back up and, and let high schoolers go straight in. That would obviously it would impact the top line for the NCAA, but I feel like they probably in some ways need to be held to account. Um, and so that next ten years will be really really interesting as we're breaking through glass ceilings that have been there for forever. Um, and that NIL is just is just the start, but the example that you gave, you know, it's sort of like. Um, that's, that's probably the perfect example around how things could change. And um, if you look at March Madness, it's um, it's actually madness that you know that, the, mm-hmm. that these players they're the ones that have made this so big. I mean, you think about Zion Williamson when we were talking down here, you know, before he was drafted, when he was in in the tournament, it was like in New Zealand, everyone like he was as big as probably. And this is down here where lots of people don't watch the tournament. Like kids were just like. Zion, Zion, you know, they didn't even watch the games. They just knew that, you know, they just knew who he played for and that was it. Probably as big as any NBA player at the time. Like that, internationally, that's the reach and that's the appeal when you're looking at 
um, the way that he was playing and the Instagram highlights, to not be able to even receive one cent, like that's just when you look at the TV ratings and uh, I mean, imagine the jersey sales and it's just madness, right? That that that, that they don't have that earning potential. Yeah, and, and I think. There's still stuff going on to the table, right? I'm sure Zion Williamson was making money while he was in college. Yeah. And I think yeah. there actually was allegations. But, I mean, your point is 100% correct. I'm not going to watch St. Peter's this weekend because it's St. Peter's. I'm watching St. Peter's because of these these stories of these players that have come out. Of Doug Eater and, you know, the and Coach Holloway, et cetera. Like, they've it – was, it was the – and the coaches get compensated. Well, we can't forget that. But it's like the players that have really built it. And, uh, I mean, they're your most important employees, right? Without them, you're not getting anything. So I think they do have real leverage. It's exactly why the MLB lockout happened. It's exactly why NBA players and NFL players are making so much money now. Because yeah. they have the power. Like, yeah, you might have to pay Steph Curry, I think it's like $200 million or whatever. But he's going to bring you a billion dollars. So it's like, it's a worthwhile investment. And I think there is a, obviously going to be a fine line eventually, but as long as sports keep growing, which I think they are, uh, especially as the international reach grows, uh, I mean, we're going to, I think in, yeah, in the next couple of years, we'll see a player, an NBA player, pass a billion dollars in NBA career earnings. I, I truly believe that. And I think it's like LaMelo Ball and On's generation. Um, yeah. So LeBron, Curry, Katie, they all set a good precedent to help these younger players get paid. So these younger players should, should be thankful that these other guys really helped grow the sport to what it is because they're going to be, and that's not to say these guys like KD, LeBron, Steph haven't made a lot of money. They have, they're all going to be billionaires as I've done Twitter threads on, but these next players are going to be in much better position, especially yeah. coming right out uh, yeah. of college. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to make the massive bank. And, and I think we looked at the, we talked about those lockouts, you know, the lockout, I can't remember when the last lockout was for NBA, but that those changes in the CBA, um, you know, the collective bargaining agreement and the way that things are now for the NBA, um, that that and the the money that they're able to earn now, and also when you look at what the way that these players invest, and in, you know, LeBron has his own digital platform. Talked about, um, I mean, Kevin Durant and I think invested into OTE as well. Like these players aren't they? They're not just um, you know like going out and buying nice cars and watches and stuff. They're, they're investing serious coin um, and actually starting their own um, businesses that will invest back. Like I read about Serena Williams um, investing and she was getting a whole bunch of money together to go and invest in a lot of these these black businesses. And so that the money to invest back in your community and to be able to grow, um, I feel that people need to change the narrative in their minds and be like, hey, um, yeah, like you might someone who doesn't know anything about sports, like it could be my mum, for example, she'd be like, why is so-and-so in a hundred million? It's like, yeah, okay. You might, it might be seen as a little bit of a negative that it's ridiculous that someone gets that money to play sport. But the reality is that uh, as a lot of these, a lot of these people are really looking to invest back, like CJ McCollum has a vineyard there and, and putting, putting things in place where you're able to actually help your community, um, provide more jobs and sp spend your money and invest your money in ways that will actually not just set you up for, for future for your future generation your kids kids but um, actually putting back into the community and I feel like that's that's probably the 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 narrative that needs to be um, you know 
talked about more is that as that this is actually a really good thing and when these players are starting to earn those really big bucks that the sport sport itself will will probably continue to change um for the better i feel yeah and i think that's kind of the irony behind it all as well is like these and, and i'm obviously blanket generalizing here but a lot of the owners and you know the people that set up these teams that make a ton of money and they're the ones saying oh college players shouldn't get paid I mean, they're the ones that have taken advantage of really cheap labor and they probably don't give back to their community that much. And that's why it's ironic that they're squawking about paying players more money and saying, oh, they're going to be done with it. Yeah, of course, a few are going to make a, you know, a few bad decisions or they're going to buy a car too early when they shouldn't have probably financially, et cetera. But like you mentioned, they're all giving back. So they're actually the ones you know, moving the world forward in a positive light. So by paying them more, you're actually helping the world as a whole and then the people that don't want to pay them is like, that's the irony is because they're already taking advantage of labor. So they're like a lot of them generalizing, like it's kind yeah. of crooked, right? Like, why would you not want to pay someone more that's going to help everyone more? Yeah. Kind of, kind of interesting. And, and I did want to answer your one point that come back about the NBA not allowing players. I think you were right. It's a lot. Of, it had to do with maturity. They felt that guys were too young coming straight from high school to the yeah. NBA and uh, like, you know, if you're 17, 18 year old and then you're partying with guys that have made millions of dollars before, it could be a bad combo. But I mean, I think LeBron did all right. So I don't know. They, yeah. And think Zion's been, he's had a lackluster NBA career. Imagine yeah. he had a good first year straight out of high school into the NBA, you know, his path could have been different. Um, yeah. He would have been on a different team. Maybe he doesn't get hurt. Maybe he was better trained. You don't know. So it's like, yeah, it's that's definitely an interesting argument. One year yeah. of college slash pro before the NBA or not. I mean, I'm all for straight to the NBA, but yeah, yeah, it's interesting, man. Because the uh, I think that the the professional environment. I mean, I like I like listening to podcasts. I was who was I listening to the other day? It was Matt Barnes actually on JJ Riddick's podcast, and I've heard this a few times talking about. Um, how you know veterans on professional teams are so important? No doubt, you know, and we've even seen it down here with with guys that are amateurs, um, being part of the professional teams in terms of the New Zealand league, and that increasing their chances to then go and get the US scholarship. You know, they obviously keep their amateur status, but they're around people that have you know been six, eight, ten years professional and teaching you how to take care of your body. You know, saying, look, hey. Yeah, maybe we're going to go out for a drink, but um, it's you know you're you're going to we're going to go out till eleven o'clock, and you're teaching them all the things that you that you actually need to know. So in the NBA, um, maybe in that first year or two, if you if you're there and you go straight from high school, you're actually being around people that 30, 32, 34, even thirty six potentially that will give you the that grounding around life, which I feel is is obviously they're going to teach you about how to take care of your body. But it's all the little things that you don't understand, and no doubt that those learnings that you would get in a year, yeah, look, maybe you will get some of those at, at college. But being around people that are that are a lot older, that you, you're forced to mature a lot a lot more quickly. And and I think for for our younger kids who've maybe come straight from high school, then that's actually what they need. And some some kids will actually really thrive in terms of that situation. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think like Paolo Lanchara, I mean, he was ready for the NBA last year. And, and we talk about all mature, and I think you made really good points about this, of having that 30 or 34-year-old 
if you're gonna get a kid straight out of high school, then invest a league minimum salary on a you know an older guy that's been through it, done it, and can be a good role model for that person. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, actually, you're saying put them in college, but now the guys that are four years older, I mean, they're out. They're probably even worse influences than anyone in the NBA would be. Uh, so, cause now you're, you're getting used to the college lifestyle and you're getting now a lot of publicity, fame, endorsements through NIL that it actually might set you backwards before getting to the NBA for a year. But I mean, yeah. arguments for both sides, but, but yeah, no, I agree with your points of, especially of the mentorship. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's good. Um, we're going to close this pot out here, man. We've got almost 50 minutes of great material. Really appreciate you jumping on and, um, the intersection of sports and business is so fascinating and um, I really feel like our New Zealand athletes are, are starting to gear up. You know, we, we need to educate themselves better, but like things are, things are happening and, you know, when the NIL is opened up with different visas, then international players will be able to have some of these opportunities and I think it's a really exciting time uh, for sports and business. So, yeah, I really appreciate um, what you the part that you play. I've subscribed to your newsletter now. Um so you've got 100,001 or whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, really appreciate you, man, and taking time out of your day. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> and, you know, as NIL moves forward, too, especially in New Zealand, if you ever, you know, anyone listening has questions, you know, feel free to to message me on Twitter or Stevie or whoever. Um, you know, happy, happy to help in any way there, um, especially growing this internationally as well. And basketball is worldwide, and that's what's so great about it. Awesome. Thanks heaps, man. Peace.